today's topic is all about communication. One of my favorite topics because I feel like communication can make or break your year. Um, Good communication to students, evaluators, and donors makes your whole season, your whole cycle run more smoothly. So I've got a simple question for you, and that is how do students learn about your scholarship offerings? What are the different channels that they are receiving this information from? Um, People who want to share how their students uh, learn about your scholarships. I know some of you might actually have um, surveys written into your applications that help you identify, you know, where did you hear about this opportunity? If if that is you and you have some some, uh, survey data to share with us, by all means, please let us Uh, raise your hand. We want to hear about that. But if you just have a sense of it as well, let us know. Hi, Elise. I'm Sarah Carlson. I work for the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving in Hartford, Connecticut. I'm the scholarship manager. Um, We do have a survey that we use and um, the largest, the way that students hear about us the most is through school counselors. Sometimes it's school counselors, teachers, you know, newsletter, but um, school counselors are, are always in the mix. Um, we do, I, I can tell you that we send out posters to all the high schools in our region. We have um, 70 high schools um, in the fall, just to let them know our web address. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. We've been using constant contact to communicate with um, school counselors and that's working pretty well. We were having issues with things being um, our, our contacts being caught in spam. So the constant contacts are, are working better, but that's that direct approach is the best one that we have. That's great. And what types of information are you getting out to those counselors? So you mentioned posters. When do those usually go out um, during the, the timeline of your scholarship process? And what other information are you, are you pushing out to counselors? So the posters usually go out in October or November, depending on how crazy things are for us, but it's the beginning of the the relaunch of our online scholarship directory. So we're sort of advertising that and don't give any details really, except the web address. We want them to go there and um, start from there. The constant contacts are more, um, you know, hey, school counselor, this is our website. Here's the three different kinds of scholarships. You know, this one, you know, is called this and students will be brought to this portal. It's this much money and it's renewable. Here's number two, students do it this way. So that they kind of get a very brief outline of like, if they go on our website, uh, what they want to do next. And then there are, some of them are a repeat Please remind your students, you know, before Christmas vacation or holiday vacation, um, please remind your students um, that the deadline is January 15th, so that before they leave on vacation. Um, we, have, we actually have two, we have two deadlines. So there's a reminder before each one. And again, telling them, you know, that the same kinds of things. Here's the information about this scholarship. We give them phone numbers, um, email addresses where they can contact us. Um, that's I great. That's, I think that's the answer to your question. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, let's move on and, and get our next uh, raised hand. I'd love to also hear about how are you engaging counselors? I guess is kind of a follow-up question I have. So we'll just kind of put that in the percolator as well. 
Hi, I work for the Community Foundation of Elmira Corning in the Finger Lakes. We're um, a little organization upstate, Western New York. This year, we partnered with a social media company who helped us run a social media ambassador campaign, and it was really successful. Instead of, I learned that students are more likely to listen to themselves than they are to me. Um, so <laughs> we partnered with Instagram pages, a lot of high school um, graduating students will have like their own class of 2022 Instagram pages. So we reached out to them um, and said, hey, would you like to be an ambassador for our scholarship campaign? And in turn for posting about um, our scholarship program, we sent a grant to those organizations and those students and they used it on their like senior parades and things of that nature. And we also um, went to some scholarship winners as well. Um, and so the way the campaign worked was for one month up to the deadline of scholarships, students would use their own social media, post on their page, tag us, um, just kind of sharing their story um, with the scholarships, what they're doing at school, um, and how to apply. Um, so that was really successful. We brought in a lot of new students, and it was really fun to watch how the students engaged on their TikTok, their Instagram. Um, it was really fun. Um, and because we found that sometimes counselors reach only a certain um, group of students. So this social media campaign really allowed us a much broader organic um, reach. And then we engaged our own social media campaign, um, our own social media page to run like, hey, tag a friend in this post if they're eligible for this scholarship and you could win a $50 gift card to Dunkin' Donuts. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, it was super fun. So we loved that. Any, anything that you would say that was like a particular win from going that route versus maybe a more traditional get the word out um, campaign that you've done in the past? Yeah, I think it was just in that we were able to reach kind of a different diverse group of students um, because I see a question about how did we recruit our ambassadors? We looked for students, um, you know, to who were studying at a um, like going into manufacturing who had received scholarships from us last year or um, students going to different schools. Um, so that was a, a win in that um, they were reaching students that may not go into the counseling office looking for scholarship programs right. and with those questions. Right. So I hope Getting I in front of question. the students where they're at rather than having the students have to access, have to come to an access point. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's fantastic. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Caitlin. Thank you. Uh, who else do we have who has some uh, things to share on how they are getting the word out to their students? Uh, my name is Lee O'Neill, and I'm with the Community Foundation of Fayette County in uh, Western Pennsylvania. One of the one of the uh, things that we did this year, and I think I mentioned it at a previous talk, was uh, we made sure that in our scholarship agreements that we harvested our our uh, awardees' new college email addresses. 
they often migrate away from a Gmail or a Yahoo account to a psu.edu type account so that we make sure that we email them to say uh, there are plenty of opportunities for students who are not in high school. Um, boy, uh, that social media campaign really sounds interesting. And you know I'm going to harvest all of those email addresses to do that um, uh, for our students. Um, also, I really like the idea of keeping in your survey uh, a question about where you heard about this opportunity, because that's going to tell us a lot as, as time goes by. Um, last year was our first year using SLM, so we necessarily created Zoom meetings with guidance counselors uh, to, to teach them about the new system and to see the application um, through the eyes of the applicant. So that was, um, that was very helpful. And I know that we'll continue to do more of those direct talking face-to-face -face with guidance counselors as opposed to just shooting out an email, which is the way we did it in the past. That is great. And that's something that I, it kind of makes me think of something I've heard in the past, Lee, about um, getting direct connection or offering, you know, coffee or taking people out to breakfast or something for new counselors, counselors who are new to that profession and have not walked students through a college um, application cycle before, um, just to build those connections. So I think we, there's a lot of turnover um, in education in general right now. That might be a great uh, way to make sure that you're connected with those who maybe haven't done this before and don't know what the standard protocol is. Um, thanks for that, Leith. I appreciate that. My name is Kathleen. I'm from the Quad Cities Community Foundation. We're located um, in a bi-state region, um, Illinois and Iowa with the Mississippi River that cuts through us um, three hours west of Chicago. And I, I just love this conversation first off. I'm like on a high with Caitlin's Instagram thing. That is so cool. Um, but I agree. I'll just share that um, one way we have a, a lot of the recommendations that in the chat we do as well um, and we essentially have a master outreach list that has all um, the counselors libraries in our area um, youth serving organizations um, all the different community colleges and different educational institutions um, but one way i this year i really just trying to think of because um, i love being able to the idea of how do we um, engage with students directly rather than maybe through a counselor or kind of their parents or something like that. And so right. one way that we're trying to think of is where do all the, a lot of the students work in our area? So there's a, um, an ice cream shop um, that has a lot of different locations in our area called Whitey's. And a lot of the high school students work there. Um, the movie theater are just, like, what are different areas um, where I could just show up with a flyer <laughs> and drop it <laughs> off um, where students will be at directly. Um, so that's just one thought um, that we've been thinking about. Um, and then the libraries, a lot of them have teen centers. And so connecting with um, whoever runs that program there um, and just trying to, because we've moved a lot of our promotion digital, um, but I think there's still value in just having flyers around on whether it's a bulletin board in different community spaces. And so um, that's another way that we're trying to take advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah. Where are students when they're not at school, I think is a great right. question to ask yourself about your community. And it sounds like you've come up with a good list of places um, mm -hmm. of where they're at when they're not in school. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. The other really cool thing about that is 
um, those businesses can become such great community partners if they're not already, you know, they, you get them involved with scholarships and all of a sudden they're wanting to uh, contribute to a giving day or, you know, do something else with the foundation when they realize that their business can have that positive impact. So that's fantastic. It's a great gateway. Yeah. Uh, anybody else have ideas on some of those places in your community where you are seeing students, some of those partnerships that you might be um, trying to build with the student centers and uh, in your community? I know that um, one of the things that I have seen is great partnerships with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, the Boys and Girls Club in my region happens to have a really great um, teen um, model and college prep um, section of their activities. And so that's been a great partnership uh, for local scholarships. All right. So if we are, I feel like this is coming to a close, this portion of the conversation. So we're going to move on to the next section. But if something sparks in your mind around students and how you're reaching out to them, please raise your hand. We can, we can go back. It won't disrupt the flow of the conversation. Just uh, we want to make sure that all these great ideas are heard. So next, let's move on to evaluators, because that is the next kind of group of people that you are needing to communicate with. Um, and so two questions just to get your minds going are, do you solicit your community for new evaluators to participate in your process? And how do you find new committee members? So is this something that you do where you are actively seeking committee members? And if so, then how do you go about doing that? Um, you wait for people to come to you? Is it the role of the committee chairs? You have lots of different committees and all the committee chairs are responsible for staffing their own committees. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot around soliciting new evaluators that we can talk through. Hi, I'm with Licking County Foundation in Newark, Ohio. We both uh, solicit members and uh, respond to people who reach out to us. So some of the, um, we have a longstanding committee. We usually try and be right around 80 members. So it's rather large, mm -hmm. but our process is that we reassess from the previous year um, and then we try and fill in from there. One of the more recent outreach efforts was to a young professionals group through our local chamber of commerce. And that wound up being uh, one that produced a lot of interest. Um, a lot of young professionals who were looking to be involved in things in the community. And because this is uh, pretty time limited um, volunteer right. commitment, it, it appealed to a lot of folks. So, That's fantastic. That commitment level really mm -hmm. lined up with what they were looking to be able to give. Exactly. And so That's that great. was successful. We also, of course, ask for recommendations from people. Anytime somebody has to exit the committee, we ask them for recommendations, given that they have firsthand knowledge about what it took to be involved. We ask them if they have any recommendations for us of others who'd like to be involved. That's fantastic. I love that. Like go straight to the source. You enjoyed this. You have a good experience with it. Um, you know what it takes to be a good evaluator. So let's get your opinion on who might like it. I think that's a really great way um, to go about that, Amy. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing. Uh -huh. 
Hi, uh, <clears throat> with the Shallow Forward Foundation in uh, North Carolina. Um, nothing a whole lot different than what's been said by a couple of folks, but it's, it, it, you know, for us, it's very much a recruitment in a way, just we're, we're a young foundation, but it's, it's really a way to uh, people who have expressed some kind of interest in what we do. It's a great way for them to sort of see how it works. So, you know, all those conversations at, at, uh, at civic club meetings and, and, you know, mixers and things, it's just always this sort of great opportunity to have to, to talk to folks about, you know, a way to see that, um, asking current members or people who said yes, if they know people, um, something we've done. Um, but this is something I'll, I'll just say, cause I just saw it in the chat. Somebody said, uh, mentioned getting former scholarship recipients to be on your committee. Um, I've been thinking about doing that this year. We had a couple of recipients last year who, who just said several times, like, if I can get involved, if I can help, you know, just kind of wanted to keep a relationship. And I, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, I'd be curious, those who've done that, how that's worked or, or input on that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. If you have done that, please raise your hand. We want to continue that um, conversation. I want to hear from you. Hi, I'm Beth Hirsch with uh, Community Foundation of the Ozarks in Springfield, Missouri. That is true. We have gone out to uh, some of our uh, recipients um, of our scholarships over the years and have asked those that have stayed in the area to belong to our selection committee. And um, I think we have three up, we have 20 altogether uh, that do that, but we have out of that is three of them and it works really well. That is wonderful. And have you found, cause my first thought um, in, in hearing this today was, oh my gosh, you can actually keep track of your students long-term because now they're engaged with the foundation in a different way. Cause that's always been such a challenge is to, to know what happens after they graduate, to know and to just keep track of them. Um, have you found uh, some benefits there as well? Well, it just comes full circle for them. So I think they really just feel like they can give back because it's all a volunteer position. And so yeah. they feel really good about that. And um, so, you know, it's, it's just great to keep track of them. And now that we can do everything via Zoom or, you know, and that's we have um, SLM. And so we use the evaluator part on that. So it can be done at home or at the office and, you know, a little bit of training. It does. It just doesn't take much at all. So that's great. Yeah. So many foundations have moved further away from their in-person um, mm -hmm. committee selection meetings um, or uh, student selection meetings. And so that opens up the possibility for students that are currently living in wherever their, their college is. So that's fantastic. Yep. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Hey, just wanted to tack on. I, um, uh, I love that idea. We've had parents of former scholarship recipients, so I would tack that in as well. Um, and then just one caution, as we've had members express interest or previous recipients express interest or parents of previous um, recipients is the, um, the caution about uh, siblings. So we've had to investigate um, whether or not there are others in the same family coming up through eligibility to apply. And we hold that line, at least within our foundation, that um, relatives of scholarship review committee are not eligible. So that's the one piece we check out when we're going that route. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very valuable point there that when you are 
you know, dipping into that same group that is a recipient of the funding, while you absolutely can use them for evaluations, you got to be a little careful and maybe put some ad- additional protocols and procedures in place. So that's a great note on that, Amy. Um, one thing that uh, I feel like kind of got said, but uh, I just want to make sure to call it out, is that this is a great introduction to your foundation for people who might be kind of beginning to play with the idea of working more closely with the community foundation, whether that is as a donor, um, as a, a board member, or sitting on maybe a women's fund committee. Scholarships are just an incredibly accessible way for people to begin to interact with the foundation. So for that reason, you know, we love to have all staff at the foundation working to build that evaluator committee pool because uh, it really does benefit the entire foundation. It's one of those things that just keeps giving back. Any other thoughts on evaluators? I would offer that we just communicate upfront what the maximum number is going to be. We don't ever want to exceed 40 applications assigned to someone. Yeah, I, I would echo what, what Amy said is once, once you get into the territory of, of over 50 applications, um, it, it does, fatigue does set in for the evaluators. Um, but sometimes you have a particular opportunity that will have 125 applicants. So because our groups evaluate in teams for those large applicant pools, we'll divide those teams a little further appointing like a spokesperson from each team. And then they'll each have done their individual groupings of evaluations. And then those team leaders will come together and suss out um, uh, kind of what's been distilled down from their team. Um, Yeah, large numbers are an issue and that's been our best workaround. If anybody else has another workaround, um, I I would really be interested to hear it. Yeah, yeah, please. And I, we'd love to see some more raised hands if you are working, particularly with large volume. Um, that is, the, it's one of the tricky things about scholarships and it's not always easy to see on the surface, but the volume at which scholarships are administered is just, you know, a, a bit staggering for those who are not regularly part of this process. Um, one strategy that I have used in the past is um, kind of as you were talking about, Lee, um, breaking down those groups a little bit further than maybe what you would. So rather than a student being evaluated by an entire committee of five, um, they are, or let's say six, would give myself an even number to work with, um, they're evaluated by two of those members and those scores are averaged. And so that way, every student for that scholarship is evaluated by two members and they are, you know, we've trained in score norming. Everybody kind of understands what the score should be given different situations. Get as close as you can with that training. And then you just accept that it's slightly imperfect, but it's, it's what you can do with the, um, with the volume that you have. So that is another thing, you know, you might want to consider is pairing, um, for those evaluations. And if the scores are drastically different, let's say one evaluator gives a student a 40% and the other evaluator gives a student a 90%, having that third evaluator that you can drop in there to to see where that lands 
um, is just another option of the strategy. I just wanted to add that we usually use odd numbers so that if there's a tie that, um, that they, we can break the tie. So we always use odd numbers and it's usually just five. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's great to know. Yeah. Odd numbers are so helpful. Um, in those, thank you, Beth. All right. So I heard a couple of, um, recommendations on places people go for committee members. Um, and those partnerships that are built there. Uh, and we have a question. I'm going to call it out in the chat because I just saw it. It just popped in. Uh, any creative ideas on thanking those evaluators for their service? And or I'm going to add to this a little bit, Lori, the, um, how are you following up with those evaluators after the point of award? So maybe they are selecting the exact student or maybe they're just scoring and they don't know if their students will be selected for the final award or not, how are you communicating back to them to close that loop for them um, so that they know what they have contributed to? Yes, I'm Julie Looper with the Wichita Falls Area Community Foundation. We're in North Texas. Um, and we do use the same as they said previously, we have evaluators that review. Um, every applicant is reviewed at least three times and we use have each evaluator do 25 to 40 applications. So then we take those scores and we average them over 100%. Then the committees meet together so that the score, um, they receive the reports that show the top score to the lower score, but then they meet and they discuss those students and the scores. Um, that way it's not just strictly by score because sometimes there's maybe a committee member that knows something else about that student um, that might be helpful information that the student didn't add on their application, but they discuss and then they decide the awards themselves in the committee. So we don't just strictly go by scores. Right, I'm, yeah. I'm very interested to know what everyone does for their evaluators because that's something we have not done well is thank our evaluators other than a thank you card. Uh, we haven't done gifts for the evaluators, um, but we do recognize them in the before times when we had our scholarship luncheon. We would make yes. sure that they got recognized at that luncheon. Um, occasionally, I think some years we may have done gift baskets for them, um, but really that that nod to them and having them stand at the luncheon, they, they seem to really like that because then the students can see who who it was that was involved with the selection process. Hi, my name is Danielle Whitmore and I run a scholarship um, that serves the entire state of California. Um, we are using Thanksgiving, which is my favorite holiday, um, to thank our donors and we are sending them pies, um, which is um, just for fun and helping them um, uh, saying thank you to them for being a part of our evaluation team. Um, I also have a question if anybody has an idea. Uh, my board has been deeply entrenched in um, the evaluation review and I'd like to, to wean them into working. Uh, this is the first year we worked with outside um, people, but if anybody has an idea to help make a board more comfortable 
to let go of the evaluation process? I would love to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, that is a great question. So if you have a committee, and I think it's true of a board, Danielle, and also just true of any longstanding scholarship committee, um, that it has, they've had ownership over that for that work for a long time. It can be a good thing to uh, bring in some additional people, but it can also be really difficult um, for those who have do feel such ownership. So if you have gone through that, we definitely want to hear about it. Uh, also, Danielle, how do I get on your review committee? Because I want a pie. So that was motivating for me. Uh, I think that is probably one of my favorite uh, thank you gifts I've ever heard for evaluation committees. Uh, do we have another hand? In answer to Danielle's question, um, it, the, the number of applications became too overwhelming for our board to, to uh, be able to evaluate. And so they were actually very in favor of trying to bring in um, community members, community volunteers. And uh, we had heard that the Community Foundation of the Alleghenies was using retired educators. So we set out on that quest, contacting guidance counselors, because part of the, the what we needed to know was, were these retired educators also going to be able to, um, to mesh well with the technology? So from that, we came up with a list of um, uh, I would say 20 retired educators from the various school districts in our, in our county. And at that point, though, all of the board members who had been doing evaluations also still participated. And I'm going to tell you that after the first year of seeing the quality and the organization that these retired educators brought to the table for these scholarship reviews, they were 100% sold. They were, they were just thrilled with the way that it worked out. And it, it's remained the same every year. Uh, we have some attrition. We have some people come, some people go. But our board, after spending one year doing evaluations with this outside committee, could not have been happier. That's great. Um, it's a great story, Leah. Sometimes, yeah, the proof is just in seeing it. You have to see it to believe it sometimes. And uh you know, we have the flexibility to do that a lot of times. It doesn't have to be a transition all at once. It can be a slower transition. You have a transition year where, you know, kind of getting everybody in there for the year. That's great. Any other thoughts or feedback on any of our conversation on evaluators? If not, I do want to go ahead and get us a few minutes talking a bit about donors. What information is important to communicate to your donors at the start of your scholarship season? You know, what are the conversations you are having with your donors? What do they need to know uh, as you are beginning to launch or getting ready to launch those applications for the year? Hi, um, I'm with the York Community Foundation of North Central West Virginia. And um, what we do with our donors is every year in the fall, just send a general letter that has our scholarship timeline so um, they're aware. And um, we also use that to communicate any changes. Um, so for example, last year was our first year with SLM. So we use that as an opportunity to explain that as well. Great, just updating on changes, getting the basic, um, basic timeline out. That's great. Do you get feedback from your, your donors on that? Do they ever have questions they come back to you? Typically, no, it may prompt them um, to get in touch to um, see how much they have available, um, if there are any changes that need to be made to the scholarship award amount. 
great. I have heard of people including um, some data on students who were not awarded from the previous year because there wasn't enough scholarship funding available. Like, you know, this, you know, 4.0 student who went on to, you know, do these great things was not selected for an award because we didn't have enough money and just kind of put that, that low grade solicitation in that communication as well. So whatever we can do to get students additional funding, I guess is good. Hi, uh, this is Sunil again. Um, we had our awardees do videos and uh, we, we didn't really script them. We gave them a couple of talking points and then we have those videos on our website. Um, we are also following up with each of the donors um, and sending them a copy of the video. Um, and it's a, you know, they were, all of our awardees were really gracious and said, thank you. And um, then we'll take all of those videos. We're going to um, mash them up into a, um, if you will, a short um, video message that has a compilation of uh, the awardees and what they're doing. And then that will go out with our timeline in November for next year. Um, so um, the videos have really, um, they're just, they're sweet. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. They're sweet and they're fun. And um, there's one, one awardee who said um, it's taken him like a hundred times to do his video. And so this, he's hoping this is like the last round. Um, but uh, it really shows how careful they, they thought, how, how thoughtful they were um, uh, about saying thank you, but also talking about how, important their award was. And that for me speaks to the heart of what donors want to talk to. They want to know they're affecting people's lives. Absolutely. They want to know that they have impact. And yes. I think that's, that's what we all want. So it makes a lot of sense to, um, to continue to relate that to our donors. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for today. Fantastic discussion. And I hope it continues virtually. And uh, as we all begin to start uh, maybe seeing each other at conferences and things like that. So that was our conversation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 